So if you will join me in John chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted, the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the, drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now remember that the purpose of the Gospel of John is to tell us exactly who Jesus is. And we've talked about this at length over the past few weeks, how personal this was, how personal of a message this was to, Jesus, to, to John, that people would know exactly who Jesus is because John, remember, walked and talked with Jesus three and a half years, was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, knew Jesus personally, loved Jesus, loved him not only as the the theological concept that we know today, but knew him as the person, knew him as the man. And so this was very personal of John. He wanted us to know who Christ truly is. He wanted us to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the prophet like unto Moses that was prophesied in the book of Exodus, that he is the deliverer, the redeemer, the savior, the one who is going to save us, who rescue us from this life that we have found ourselves caught up in. The only begotten Son of God, and being the only begotten Son of God, He is also God in flesh. God and man. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hell, the incarnate deity. We sing that every Christmas. This is exactly who John wants us to get to know. And John's desire is that by reading his gospel, we will believe. That we will know and believe who Christ is. But more importantly than knowing who Christ is and knowing the truth about him and having the academic intellectual knowledge of Jesus and having our theology on point, more than that, that we would believe, that we would trust, that we would trust Jesus and we would love Jesus the way John trusted Jesus, the way John loved Jesus. And since everything in John's gospel points to this, this is the context by which we evaluate these scriptures. So when we're talking about Jesus turning the water into wine, we're not concerned about the wine. Jesus could have turned the water into Dr. Pepper. The, the, the message that we take from this passage is the same. The account of the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine, was included in the Gospel of John to demonstrate to us who Jesus is. Therefore, any application to these scriptures beyond that may be true, but they're off topic to the, to the relevance of this particular passage. The wedding in Cana neither affirms nor does it condemn the use of alcohol. 
What it does do is demonstrate what we need to know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to know his power, who he is. We need to know his grace. And we need to comprehend the blessings of having faith in him. It is worth noting that this is the first miracle of Jesus. This is the first miracle that he performed. And this revelation was given to his disciples and those servants who prepared the water turned into wine. When Jesus came in, he spoke and revealed himself to his followers, and he revealed himself to those who were on the bottom rung of the societal ladder. How amazing is that? How incomparable is that? When Jesus came, he didn't issue a press release and send it to the national media. He didn't seek an audience with the king. He didn't get a one-on-one exclusive interview with Barbara Walters. I'm not even sure if she's on TV anymore. He went to the people. The gospel is for all of us. So first, let's talk about the power of Jesus. Because to do this miracle, to turn the water into wine, you've got to have power. You've got to have miraculous power. There has to be an ability here. There has to be the ability to control the molecular structure of a substance. That's amazing. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John opens the gospel by telling us who Jesus is. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Notice this. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Remember, the purpose is to demonstrate to us the divinity of Jesus Christ, his divine nature, the fact that he's God in flesh. And John opens his gospel declaring the divinity of Christ. He opens his gospel telling us straight up that Jesus Christ is in fact God in flesh. That's how he opens the book. That's how he opens his conversation with us, telling us that Jesus is God. Therefore, it follows that the miracles that John records are for the purpose of demonstrating the Lord's divinity. In order to turn the water into wine, as I mentioned, Jesus would need to have complete control over creation, complete control over the laws of nature, complete control over the the molecular, that's a a big word, uh, molecular, molecular. I like that, molecular. has a certain rhythm to it has to have control over the molecular structure of the water. This power can only be his power if he's the creator. This power can only be his power if he's the one that actually spoke all this stuff into existence. If he's the one that had the power to create it in the first place. Remember, the Lord spoke creation into existence. Read the book of Genesis. The Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. And the evening and the morning were the first day. The Lord said, let there be, and there was. The Lord said, let there be, and there was, and he saw that it was good. The Lord created the entire universe simply by speaking it into existence. Speaking it into existence, it came into an existence in such a way that it pleased him. That's why as you read the book of Genesis, after he created everything, he kept saying, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. It was created by God. 
by our Lord for the purpose of pleasing and glorifying our Lord, and it did. And the creation, the sole purpose of all creation is to glorify God and bring him, and bring him pleasure. The Bible tells us in Colossians that all things were created by him and were created for him. And so when Jesus tells the storms to be calm, the storms have to be calm. They have to obey their creator. And the storms are not going to destroy their creator. Jesus was in, asleep in the back of the boat because he knew he was safe. Amen. The storm's not going to take his life. He's got power over the laws of nature. He's got power over the, the construct of the water. This is something that can only be done by the creator. The only logical explanation for how Jesus turned the water into wine is the fact that he is, in fact, God in flesh. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, this is who we believe in. This is where our faith in is. This is our worship. This is who we worship. This is what we worship. This is, I mean, this is what draws us together. This is why we're here, okay? You're not here because this is an incredibly entertaining place to be. I know that it's hard staying awake during the sermon some mornings. I know it's hard staying awake during the Sunday school lessons on, on Sunday mornings. I know it'd be nice to have some nice flooring in here. I, I understand it. But y'all aren't here for all that. If you were, you'd be somewhere else. You'd be at the movies. <laughs> you, you'd be watching a ball game. You're here. It's a testament to who you are to what you believe, to what's in your heart. Amen. You're here because you know the Lord. You want to worship him. You want to express your thanks to him. You want to get to know him more. That's why you're here. We worship and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is more than a prophet. Almost every religion in the world will recognize him as a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. Almost every society will recognize Jesus as a great teacher, but he's more than a great teacher. He's more than a great man. We've had lots of prophets. We've had lots of great teachers. We've had lots of good men, great men, who have led us as a people, and they're all in the grave. And some of them we remember on certain days of the year, and some of them we do not. But Jesus is more than a great man. He's more than a great teacher. He's more than a prophet. He is the embodiment of God. He is God in flesh. He is the revelation of the Father. When Philip said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll believe. Now, that kind of sounds rude. Mm -hmm. After everything we've been through, Philip, the, 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 the Philip that went and got Nathaniel, after everything we've been through, you're going to sit there and ask me, show me the Father? <laughs> so You ever get to a point where you're like, Okay, this is going down. Is this real? Can I go through with this? You ever, had, you ever had those moments? Doubts, maybe? All right, now Jesus is telling Philip, is telling his disciples he's about to go die. He's going to go prepare a place for them. He's about to leave them. Can you, can you understand why Philip would feel that way? And what did Jesus tell Philip? He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He's the revelation of the Father. He is God in flesh. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our trust. We see the power of Christ. We see 
the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ, his divine nature and his power on full display as he turns his water into wine. Secondly, we see his grace. In verses 3 through 4, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. The wedding has run out of wine. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. Anybody here ever been to a wedding? Had a wedding? See, I didn't have a wedding. Jessica and I, we got married at the courthouse. Probably shouldn't have admitted that on the recording. But anyway, that's what we did. That's, that's our testimony. That's, that's, that, that's, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, though. A wedding, a marriage that is built on the Lord and your unity in the Lord is a good marriage regardless of where that wedding took place. Amen. But like everything's got to be perfect at the wedding, right? We've got to make sure there's enough food for the guests. Can you imagine running out of food? Can you imagine running out of beverages? Can you imagine there's not enough seating? Can you imagine like this, I mean, the seating chart for the different tables? I mean, that's carefully calculated because there are certain people you cannot have at the same table. Everything's got to be perfect. And, and, and so that's what's going on at this wedding. And they're having the wedding, but they run out of wine. This is a tragedy. It's horrible. This wedding's about to be ruined. And Mary goes to Jesus and says they have no wine. And Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? Now, he's not being rude. He's not saying, not my problem. He's not saying that. But what's he acknowledging? What he's acknowledging is that this situation at this wedding, tragic as it is, has nothing to do with his eternal plan and his mission. Why did Jesus come into the world? 1 Timothy 1.15 says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus came to save sinners, okay? Whether or not we have a successful wedding reception is beside the point. This is not something that ties into, not something that is crucial to his overall mission and his overall purpose. In the grand scheme of things, what is this wedding and what what impact will the availability of wine at this wedding have? And the answer to that is not much. To the bride and groom, this is a big major deal. To the family affected, it's a big deal. To the rest of us, 2,000 years later, we're sitting here. Whether or not this wedding had wine or not, we're still living. We're still doing the thing. So this has nothing to do with God's overall mission, with his overall purpose, with what he is here to do. He says, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Also, it's not time for him to reveal himself as the Messiah. He's still incognito here. He's still gathering his disciples together. He's still lining out the program. It's not time to come out and say, here I am, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer of Israel, the only begotten Son of God. It's not time for him to do that yet. He he doesn't necessarily need to blow his cover at this moment. You see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of reasons for Jesus to just, not my issue. Not my issue. There's, There's many reasons for him to say that. But watch what happens. In verse 7, these servants have been given the directive by Mary 
to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know from where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. There's no eternal, there's nothing eternal at stake here. It's a tragedy for a wedding to go down like that, but God's plan of salvation will continue whether this wedding went according to plan or not, okay? The gospel would have been fulfilled whether or not this wedding is successful. Despite the fact there was nothing eternal at stake, and despite the fact that this had absolutely nothing to do with his mission or plan, Jesus turned the water into wine and saved the wedding. And when I think about that, do you know what, you know what comes to my mind? That Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, my Deliverer, my Redeemer, God, the Creator of the universe, who is working the things in the world today to prepare the world for his return. He's working a big plan here, and he's having to deal with a lot because we have, we have international conflict, we have wars, we have inflation, we have Republicans and Democrats, and he's having to work through all of this to bring the world to a place where he can return and establish his kingdom on earth. He's got a big job he's doing right now. The grace of the Lord is such that he loves me and he loves you. And he cares how my day is going. And he cares how your day is going. Amen. He cares how my life is going. He cares how your life is going. Amen. You may not feel like you got some things going on, but you may not feel like they're worth praying over. Like, you know, I really need to make this sale today. Uh, do I dare pray for that? I remember I had a football coach who every time he'd lead us in prayer before the game, he would make a point to say, Lord, we would never ask you for a win. But we wanted to win. But my football coach was afraid to pray for a win. Okay? You, there may be things that you think are so, even though they're a big deal to you, in the grand scheme of things, you may think that they're petty, and so you're not sure whether you should pray about them. You should. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He cares how our day is going. He cares how our life is going. He cares what's giving us anxiety. He cares what we're thinking about. He cares about the things that you are stressing out about. And he wants to hear about those things you think are too petty to bother him with. He cares. He cares whether you're bidding a job and whether or not you get that job. He cares how your health is doing. He cares how the business is going. He cares how school is going. He cares what the church attendance is. He cares, um, he, he just cares. He cares. And he will respond. He will respond in the way that is the best 
for your greatest benefit. That's Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are thee called according to his purpose. Which means I may not get that sale. You may not get the job you bid. The truck may be parked for a couple of weeks. The, you know, the, um, the landlord may be on your case. School may be overwhelming when you're trying to keep up with a job at the same time. Sometimes what we hope doesn't happen, happens. Sometimes our worst nightmares come true. I will be lying to you if I say because you trust the Lord, you will never have fearful moments, horrible times, tough times. I will be lying to you if I tell you that. I'm going to tell you that there are things happening to Christians overseas that I don't even want to tell you about and you don't even want to think about. But I'm also going to tell you that the Lord knows it, the Lord cares about it, and the Lord is also working things not only together for his plan, you, for his plans, you are not just a cog in the machine. And even though it feels like the worst possible outcome is happening, the Lord's hand is still in it. And even though it is hard to understand how losing someone close to you to death or to disease can possibly be good for you, and I cannot explain that either. The Lord has promised us it is good. Yes. And we can trust him for that. Right. And we can find peace in that. He will respond in the best way for your greatest benefit. And he's going to do that whether you believe it or not. If you are a child of his and you trust him as your savior, whether or not you believe that, he's, that this is good, he's still going to work it to your good. Yes. That, that's how amazing he is. I can sit here and bellyache because something went wrong. And Jessica can tell me, but Leland, you know God's working all things so good. And I may know that academically, but I don't want to think that. I don't even want to deal with it. I just want this thing to go right. I want the car to start. You ever have that moment? You ever pray that your car would start? God hears that prayer. That's what we're talking about. But now if I don't believe it and I'm not trusting it, well, he's still going to work all things to my good. But I'm not going to enjoy the ride very much. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be frustrated. And then when it all works out, I'm going to feel stupid for being angry and frustrated this whole time. So we have to learn to trust him. And that's where the blessing is, is when we trust the Lord, even when things are falling apart, that's where we find the peace. That's where we find the sweetness. How sweet it is to trust the Lord through all things. You look in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now Mary is at this wedding. And they run out of wine. You think Mary knew who Jesus was? You think she knew Jesus? Amen. Yes. Um, who knows somebody better than their own mother knows That's him? Right. Besides God. A mother knows her child better than anyone else in the world. Yes. I think Mary knew Jesus. Yeah. I think she knew who she was raising. I think that song, Mary, Did You Know? I think Mary knew. Yeah. I think Mary knew. We're out of wine. Mary says, I know a guy. <laughs> Mary goes and tells Jesus about it. And when Jesus says, this is not my problem, she's not giving up on this. She's telling the servants, you do whatever he tells you to do. And, she's given, and you don't see Mary again in this story. You don't see Mary again 
here in this passage. You know what she did? She gave it, like we preachers like to say, she gave it to Jesus. She gave it to the Lord. She gave it to the Lord and she walked away, all right? She's done what she can do. The Lord's going to take it from here on out. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Jesus t just told Mary that this was not his problem. Yet Mary prepares the servants to respond to the, to the commands of Jesus. She trusted the Lord to do something. And for her to trust the Lord to do something like that, she must have really known him well. Yes. And one of the keys to trusting Jesus is knowing him. Amen. That's why I encourage y'all to be here every Sunday, every Sunday you can. Because I am going to commit to you, I have committed to you, but I, ha I may not have told you I've committed to you, but I will commit to you to bring you a message every Sunday morning that will help you to know Jesus better. Amen. To know the Lord deeper. To have the knowledge and the information and the scriptural teaching that will allow you to know the Lord in such a way that you can trust him even when all of your worst fears are coming true. That's what, I'm going to commit that to you. I put Sunday morning sermon, this is, this is what I pivot my week around. I want to bring you a message that you leave here knowing the Lord better today, better today than you did yesterday. Um, I feel like if I do anything else, I've done you a disservice. I can tell you how to raise more godly pets, but my advice might not work on that. How to be a better parent and raise well-behaved children. I feel like I've had some success at that, but my advice might not be that good. Okay? But I can tell you about Jesus. I can tell you about Jesus. And Mary here, she knows Jesus and she trusts Jesus. She takes the issue to Jesus and then she prepares the servants and walks away. She's in a place of peace because she knows the Lord and she trusts him. Amen. And so she's going to be okay. In verse 8, he said to them, Jesus says to the servants, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. We often overlook this point of the story. Jesus just told the servants to pour water into these water pots. These are 30-gallon water pots. If you look out the window out there, you see our trash can by the road because I forgot to bring it back to the back of the church building. That's 50 gallons. So do about three-fifths of that, and that's how big these stone water, pot, water pots are. Picture that for a moment. And there's several of these. And Jesus tells the servants to fill these up with water. They must have had a really good plumbing system. And then he tells them to draw some water out and take to the master of the feast. Now, put yourself in the position of the servant. You're low man on the totem pole here. If this deal goes south, what's going to happen to you? How's this going to go over? What do they do? They draw the water out, they take it to the master of the feast, and it has been turned into wine. These servants did as Jesus told. What they did, to do what they did... They had to have a lot of trust in the Lord. What an amazing faith that was for them to draw that water out of those pots and take it to the master of the feast. And because they had that faith, they saw the miracle. Now sometimes we don't see the miracle because we don't have faith. We don't actually see how God worked it out. We are so angsty about the situation that we don't even see how God is moving all the pieces. We're like that more often than we know. I know I'm like that sometimes, and you're like that sometimes. 
But to bring us back to a place of peace, we need to be reminded that the blessing of the Christian life is in the faith. Yes. It's in trusting him. It's in believing in him. Life is hard. Yes. I was at a preacher's meeting yesterday. And one of them mentioned how hard ministry is. Uh, yeah, it can be. Not here. I'm, I'm not trying to butter your biscuits or anything. I'm, I'm telling y'all, this is most of the time a very easy church to pastor. I mean, it really is. Uh, I don't get threats on the phone call. I don't have people threatening to fire me. You know, I've, it's, uh, this is a good place. But ministry is hard. Even when everything, even with a good congregation, you're going to face death. You're going to face illness. You're going to face surgery. You're going to face broken families. You're going to face, you know, the, the spiritual battles that go with it. This pastor said that ministry is hard. Of course it's hard. Yes. Life is hard. Life is hard. Work is hard. Work is hard. We worry about, the, we stress out over the ministry. What about the salesperson who's stressing out about his quota? What about the events planner who's got a calendar so full that she doesn't know when she's going to be able to have lunch next? It's not on the schedule. You know, what, what about the truck driver who's like pumping five and a half dollar per gallon diesel and getting paid a dollar twenty a mile? I did the math on that. I don't know how y'all do that. Um... Seriously, um, I did the math. Hmm, maybe truck driving. Nope. <laughs> you don't want to talk about living by faith. The student who has to make sure that they pass the star test because it goes on their permanent record if they don't. Life is hard. Yes. Our parents die. Our children get sick. The economy is in turmoil. Life is hard. The seats are hard. The seats are hard. We'll work on that. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> you know, we could still have those wooden church pews. <laughs> That's right. But now Ron brings up a point. The seats are hard. The, 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 the preacher preaches long. The air conditioner's not working. Okay, all these things happen. All these things happen. But when you trust the Lord, I mean, teachers talk about how hard they got it. They got it hard. But life is hard. When you trust the Lord, you have peace in knowing that he is working through all things to your good. Amen. Without that faith, without that faith that God is working all things together for your good, you're just facing your worst fears with empty, with empty pots. Yeah. And so what John wants us to take from this is he wants to remind us once again in this passage that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is indeed God in flesh. He is the creator of all things, and he has the power to work whatever miracle that he sees fit to accomplish his will. And in doing that, and all that great cosmic power that he has, Amen. he actually cares about what's going on in your life, and he is working in that life to bring it to the best possible place. And even though it's stressful on us, and it doesn't quite work out for us the way we think it should work out, it is still working out to our best possible benefit. Remember, God's plan is not for us to get rich. I mean, he may do that for you. Anybody win Powerball? Nobody in here won Powerball. Okay. Um, I'm not going to preach on the evils of gambling, but uh, do remember tithing. Okay? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I mean, he may make you rich, but that's not the point. 
the point is that he is working toward the day that he welcomes you into his kingdom and he Amen. says, well done, good and faithful servant. And when we get there, everything here, there's a, there's a song in one of the old hymnals that says we'll talk it over in the by and by. I don't think we'll even need to do that. I think we'll, we'll understand the whole purpose once that day comes. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what God is working us to. Yes. We just need to trust him along the way. Let us stand.